Welcome to the SC Yoga Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Deal, a certified yoga teacher and integrative health and wellness coach. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with helpful tools and information that will help you better understand the connection between yoga, mindfulness, and movement in bite-sized episodes so that you can break through the barriers in your life. Let's get started because yoga, it's the real deal. Hey listeners, welcome to season three, episode 11 of the SC Yoga Girl podcast. So I wanted to take a little bit of time in today's episode to talk about yoga for mental health. I recently ran a workshop at the local yoga studio that I teach at in Fort Mill, South Carolina, and the workshop spoke spoke specifically to anxiety. It was a yoga for anxiety workshop. But one of the things that I covered in that workshop is how oftentimes anxiety, depression, and trauma are confused for being the same thing. And I did want to spend a little time putting together an episode to break down each of those three conditions because they are, in fact, different from each other. So I hope that this is an episode that is something you're looking forward to learning more about. And if you are a person, as always, who likes to take notes, please grab some paper and a pen or anything that you prefer to take notes with. Get comfortable and we'll get started. Okay, now that you're comfortable, let's get started in our discussion. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking today about how yoga could help if you're dealing with one of the following three mental health conditions, anxiety, depression, and or trauma. As I mentioned in the intro, these three conditions are different from each other, but a lot of people do use them interchangeably sometimes without knowing that there's actually a difference between them. So I'm going to spend some time today defining each of these three conditions and talking about what the symptoms of each are. And you'll start to see definitely some overlap between the three, which is probably why a lot of people do get them confused. But I'm hoping that as you start to understand the differences, you'll also understand why the way that you choose to approach dealing and managing, dealing with and managing these conditions might need to be a little bit different. Let me just start by saying that I did cover anxiety back in season one, episode 11. And in that episode, I shared a little bit about my story. Um, So we're going to start off by talking about anxiety. Anxiety is something personally for for me that I've been dealing with since I was around the age of 25 or 26. And you'll hear more about that in season one, episode 11, if you do decide to go back and listen to that episode. But know that what anxiety is, is it's a response to a perceived threat. And it refers to anticipation of a future concern. So think about you're worrying all the time about whether or not you're going to be able to afford to pay your rent. That is a future concern. You're anticipating that maybe you won't be able to pay your rent. So it is a perceived threat in some way because if you can't pay your rent, 
what are you going to do for your living situation and so on and so forth. That's just a small example. But it's basically your body's way of preparing to fight or flee and it's a normal reaction to stress. Every single human being on the planet has experienced anxiety at some point in their life. Now, mild levels of anxiety can be beneficial in some situations because it alerts us to dangers and it helps us to prepare and pay attention. Anxiety disorders differ from normal feelings of nervousness or anxiousness, though, because they involve excessive fear or anxiety and tend to be chronic. An interesting little fact that I found, and I found this, this is actually from um, the... 2020 report, the facts and statistics page on the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. So know that these stats that I'm about to tell you are probably a little different today. I haven't been able to find their newest report, but in 2020, it was estimated that 40 million U.S. adults are affected each year by an anxiety disorder. That's 18.1% of the U.S. adult population. And Of those 40 million people, only about 40% seek out treatment. I did also come across some newer information. It didn't really give me full numbers, but it's the 2023 State of Mental Health in America report. And it shows that the number of people seeking help for anxiety disorders has skyrocketed since COVID. I will put links to both of these uh, places where I got this information in the show notes, but I know that COVID has been hard for so many of us. And I also know, because I am also a volunteer at the Crisis Text Line, that more and more people are reaching out to seek help for a variety of mental conditions, and anxiety is just one of them. So even though COVID was a horrible thing to hit this entire world, I do feel like one positive thing that came out of it is I... From what I've seen personally, I feel like much more emphasis is being placed these days on mental health, not just anxiety, but any mental health condition. I feel like more of a spotlight has been starting to be put on these conditions and people are feeling more comfortable seeking out treatment. There's There's still a stigma on any mental health condition, but it feels like it's becoming less so. So I feel like more people these days understand the importance of taking care of their mental health. So I just sidetrack there. So I, I think that's the one good thing I can think of that's come out of this COVID pandemic. Anyway, back to anxiety. The symptoms of a person who is having an anxiety response are as follows. And this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the most common symptoms of an anxiety response. Increased heart rate, rapid or shallow breathing, sweating, dizziness, feeling ill, dry mouth or excessive thirst, poor digestion, difficulty concentrating, poor memory, and being excessively focused on problems or worrying. So the anxiety response involves the brain and the nervous system, and these two systems work together in any anxiety situation. The brain's limbic system, which is comprised of the hippocampus, amygdala, hypothalamus, and thalamus, is responsible for the majority of our emotional processing. So individuals with an anxiety disorder may seem to have heightened activity in these areas of the brain. 
Generally, people suffering from anxiety spells or from symptoms related to anxiety need to work on their limbic system. It's essential because a drop in the limbic system can sometimes lead to higher anxiety or an anxious person may lose control over their limbic system. Now, jumping into depression. Depression is a mood disorder that is characterized by persistent low mood, loss of interest in activities and sadness, and depression can cause changes in the structure and function of the brain, changes in our hormones, sleep disturbances, low energy levels, loss of motivation, poor concentration, and low self-esteem. Depression can be anything from mild, temporary episodes to more severe and long-term episodes of depression. And interestingly enough, nearly half of people diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with anxiety disorder. So some of the physical symptoms you might see with depression, I've, I've said some of them already, so you might hear a repeat, but here are some of the most common depression symptoms. Feelings of sadness and hopelessness, loss of interest in activities that you once enjoyed, increased or decreased appetite, sleeping too much or an inability to sleep, feelings of low self-esteem and worthlessness, feelings of guilt, lowered cognitive function, lack of motivation, frequent crying, and fatigue. Um, Before I jump into trauma, let me just say depression is something that has affected my family for as long as I can remember. So my mom is a person who for her whole life, or at least for her whole life when I came into the world, she was diagnosed with clinical depression. So she dealt with it throughout her entire adult life. I think that I've definitely had some episodes of depression. I've never been clinically diagnosed with it. Um, But when I jump into what trauma is all about, I think you'll maybe make the connection a little bit better. And And I have other family members who have definitely been dealing with depression throughout their lives. So it is it is definitely something that affects my family. Let me get into trauma. So trauma, that is the result of actual danger. So it's not perceived, it is actual. It is the psychological and physical response to any unexpected and shocking, scary, or dangerous event. So this could be something like assault, abuse, neglect, natural disasters, car accidents, or the sudden death of a loved one. Trauma responses can arise immediately after the event, or they can sometimes be delayed. After a traumatic event, people typically experience some of the following symptoms, or maybe all of them, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but some of them are feeling sad, angry, or anxious, trouble focusing or remembering things, difficulties sleeping, intrusive thoughts about the event. These are normal and expected responses to a traumatic event. Most people will work through these responses and be able to return to normal life afterwards, but sometimes these responses are prolonged and can cause ongoing interruptions to daily life. Trauma responses that persist could develop into a more serious condition called post-traumatic stress disorder, which I think a lot of us know that name and probably know it by its acronym of PTSD. When the responses persist for a long time, they might lead to depression and or anxiety. So you can start to see how all three of these conditions can overlap and link to each other. And a lot of these symptoms that I've named are similar or the same in each of the three conditions. I'll just talk a little bit about trauma from a personal experience. 
Um, I can pinpoint several traumatic events throughout my life going back to being a child, but the one that I'll just choose to talk about here in this episode is that, and if you've known me for a long time, you already probably know the story, but in 2018, my daughter and I, my younger daughter and I, were involved in a pretty serious car accident. The car was totaled. We shut down the road that the accident happened on for a couple hours. We ended up in the emergency room. And I just remember going to my car after I got out of the hospital to get my stuff out of the car because I had my daughter's school backpack in there and my work briefcase. And I remember going to the tow yard and seeing my car and just, it was smashed beyond belief. And I remember looking at it and just being in awe that I actually made it out of that accident alive because when you looked at the car, it was unbelievable that anybody survived the accident. And ever since then, I have dealt with trauma on a level that I've never experienced before, even with the traumatic things I went through as a child. I mean, even to this day, more than five years later, I have trouble when I'm driving, if I'm in a lot of traffic, if I see somebody coming up behind me super quick, if I am driving and come across another car accident, that brings back those triggering memories. There have even been times when I've been driving and I've had to actually turn around and go back home or pull off to the side of the road to be able to get myself through it because it will bring on an anxiety attack. So it is real and I've been working for years with the therapist. And so I've definitely got my tool bag of tips and tricks and things that I use to help me when I'm experiencing anxiety or those feelings of the trauma. But it's it's a lifelong thing. I mean, I think it's going to affect me for a very long time. But the nice thing to know is that I have those tips. I have those tools. So when it happens, sometimes I can feel it coming and I can stop it from becoming an issue. But when it does become an issue, I still can reach into that tool bag and and pick out the things that I know work for me. So just know that it's not necessarily something you're going to do and it's going to get fixed just like that. Sometimes it's something that you just have to keep working on for a very long time. So that being said, how can yoga help us deal with one or all of these conditions, right? Again, I am not a doctor. I am a yoga teacher and health and wellness coach. So I'm just sharing just a small number of things you could do from a more holistic and alternative perspective that may help you in dealing with anxiety, depression, or trauma. So from a yogic perspective, mental health conditions like these can be viewed from what is referred to as the gunas. The gunas are qualities or attributes or tendencies, whatever word resonates with you the most. And they are said to form everything in the material world. There are three gunas. So these three gunas or energies are said to form everything in the material world. And yogic philosophy says that these three qualities exist in every person and every object in varying degrees with one usually being more dominant than the other two. So here are the three gunas. Number one is tamas, which translates to destruction or depression. 
Thomas is associated with the feelings of stability, depression, ignorance, lethargy, doubt, guilt, and shame. Rajas is the second guna, and it means activity or anxiety, and it is associated with the feelings of anxiety, restlessness, agitation, anger, aggression, action, passion, and desire. And then there's sattva, which translates to purity, and it's associated with the feelings of clarity, peacefulness, delight, happiness, bliss, balance, harmony, contentment. Doesn't that sound beautiful? But just know that all three of the gunas are important at various times. For example, if we're being attacked or threatened, then Rajas and Thomas have a lot of importance. However, when it comes to yoga for mental health, many of us are experiencing dominance in Rajas or Thomas to the point where it's bringing us suffering. Just know that whichever of the gunas is the dominant one for you, that is going to shape your mind in the way that you see, experience, and perceive the world around you. So for example, if the mind is in Thomas predominantly, then you might feel out of touch with the world around you. Life could feel difficult, heavy, and burdensome. It could feel as if life has lost joy and meaning for you. If your mind is residing in a predominantly rajasic state, the world might feel overwhelming, frightening, and as if it is moving too quickly. You might react to the world around you in this way as if everyone is every and everything is a threat. And if you are experiencing a more predominantly sattvic state, then you might feel deeply peaceful, clear-minded, in touch with yourself and with the world around you, and you will feel as though you are in a space of love. So when we are dealing with anxiety, depression, or tamas, excuse me, that's not right. If we are dealing with anxiety, depression, or trauma, not Thomas, <laughs> we want to increase our sattva. And so to do that, one thing that we might want to think about doing is bringing more sattvic foods into our diet. And those would be things that are primarily plant-based. And sattvic foods focus more on organic, whole foods, Think about natural fruits, vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, and grains. Also think about doing more sattvic activities, which are things that you enjoy. Make sure you're spending time in environments where you feel safe and joyful and work on having positive thoughts. So from the perspective of ancient yogic philosophy, yoga can help us in balancing the three gunas so that the right quality can present itself at the right time. One of the things you can do in your physical yoga practice when you're working on dealing with trauma, depression, and anxiety, to, to be able to increase your sattva, you would incorporate things like specific breath work, yoga postures, mindfulness and meditation activities, and you would want to make sure you're doing those things in an environment that feels safe and relaxing. Now, from a Western therapeutic perspective, one of the things that yoga can do for mental health is to help balance our nervous system and rewire the brain. And we do this by stimulating the vagus nerve, which is the longest cranial nerve in the body. And it runs all the way from the brain to the large intestine. Stimulating the vagus nerve helps activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is part of our autonomic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is the system that is responsible for kicking in the relaxation and calming response. 
that's a lot. <laughs> so let me just briefly, so this will be a little bit longer of an episode than we typically have, but this is important stuff. So when you are thinking about bringing in yoga to help you deal with one of these mental health conditions that we've talked about, again, we want to make sure we are doing this in a safe environment, some place that feels safe for our bodies and for our minds. And one of the things that you can do in the practice that you want to weave in is to build in slow movement because moving slowly will send a message to your nervous system that you're safe and it allows your nervous system to switch from that sympathetic nervous system also part of the autonomic nervous system, but the sympathetic nervous system is that fight or flight state of mind. So when you move slowly, that will help bring your nervous system over to that parasympathetic nervous system state, which is that safe and relaxing and calming state of mind. Think about also not just moving slowly, but rhythmically. Creating rhythm in the body and with your breath will send a message to your nervous system that you are safe and that everything is well with the environment that you're in. But perhaps the most important element that you can bring into your yoga practice when you're dealing with one of these mental health conditions is mindfulness. When you are mindful with your movements and with your breath, then your awareness becomes anchored in your body and in the present moment. Doing these three things help stimulate that vagus nerve because it enhances interoception, which is how you perceive sensations arising in the body. When you practice yoga in this way, it will help increase the vagal tone. And that means your body is able to relax sooner after a stressful event. And that can help reduce the symptoms of any nervous system dysfunction, such as feelings of anxiety. So I want you to think about that. Bringing in movement to your yoga practice that is rhythmic, slow, and mindful. My suggestion would be that if you are dealing with one of these three health conditions and you want to take a class at a local studio, maybe think about looking for classes that are labeled as gentle, restorative, slow flow. You might even see a class labeled as yoga for mental health. When in doubt, call the studio if something in the class description doesn't make sense and just check with them to see if they feel like it would be an appropriate style of yoga for a mental health condition because some some practices might stimulate you in the wrong direction if that makes sense. Do think about this though. If you are dealing with anxiety, then there are two things you want to understand about anxiety. So when you are in the midst of experiencing it, there's often a buildup of adrenaline in the body because your body thinks it's in danger and that adrenaline can help provide the energy so that you can fight or run away. So when you are coming to your yoga practice with that feeling of excess energy, then you may need to release some of that energy before you engage in that slow and mindful yoga practice. So you might need to start off with something more active, like doing some uh, sun salutations. So maybe two or three rounds of sun salutations 
might help to get rid of that excess energy. You could even do something as simple as running in place or jumping jacks, but just something to get that energy out if you're right in the midst of feeling that adrenaline buildup. But also know that once you've gotten through that adrenaline response, when you've released that built up energy, a lot of times there's a feeling of fatigue and exhaustion. And that's because your body has used up its store of energy and resources during the anxiety response. And that fatigue can be experienced on a physical level, on a mental level, and an emotional level. And when you're in that period of exhaustion, then your body needs that ability to rest and re-nourish. When that's happening, when you're experiencing that feeling of fatigue and exhaustion during a yoga practice, that's when you need to take it easy. And that's when you may want to move into more of a restful practice, like a gentle or restorative or yin yoga, deep stretch, those kinds of things, because that will help guide you to relax your body and mind. And just know when you're in that exhaustion state, it is fine to stay in a resting pose if you are too tired to continue with the practice. Now, if you are dealing with depression, each person who experiences any level of depression is going to be dealing with some sort of difficult feeling or emotion, probably multiple difficult feelings and emotions. And so some people might not feel comfortable sitting still on a yoga mat because that could be too overwhelming or frightening to slow down. But for others, mindful movement and rhythmic breathing might be just what you need. So again, Listen to your body and your mind and your breath and determine what it is you need at that moment. So the practice you choose could be very different depending on the day and depending on how you feel. And then finally, when you are dealing with trauma, now this is a big one. When, when you're healing from trauma, we need to definitely make sure we're using movements that are slow, rhythmic, and mindful so that we can get that feeling of safety in the body. But for a person who has experienced trauma, if you're going to an in-person class, a lot of teachers like to offer hands-on assistance, and that could feel like an invasion of your personal space and trigger unwanted and uncomfortable feelings if you've been dealing with a trauma. So you need to make sure that you're avoiding anything that could be triggering if you're affected by trauma. And so some of the things to think about making sure that you are looking out for. Again, this can be different per person because some things are going to affect some people more or less than others. But here are some things that could trigger a person who has been dealing with trauma. So difficult or overwhelming postures. Make sure that if you are dealing with the trauma that you're keeping it simple. And so if you're a yoga teacher teaching a Um, trauma-informed yoga class, make sure you're offering simple postures. Keep it simple. Also, straps, yoga straps being used as a prop could be triggering to some students dealing with trauma. And if you're a yoga teacher, if you are telling students what to do, for example, if you're saying things like, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, I would like you to that could be triggering to somebody dealing with trauma. So maybe instead use invitational languages, language, something like when you are ready or if you would like to. Partner poses should also be avoided with people experiencing trauma. 
Loud music might also be triggering, so if you're using music, keep it soft and ambient. If you are a teacher and you are moving around the class, walking around um, as you're teaching, make sure you are mindful of walking up behind students. Always vocalize your movements because if you catch them by surprise, that could also be a trigger. Complete darkness could be a trigger. Strong scents could be a trigger and locked doors could also be a trigger. So think about those kinds of things. Um, If you're a person experiencing trauma, just look out for those kinds of things in the classes that you attend. And if you're a teacher, just be aware of those things, um, especially if you are offering a trauma-informed class. So make sure you know that if you are experiencing trauma, you always have the option of keeping your eyes open. So even if a teacher says to close your eyes, if it's a trigger, you have every right to keep your eyes open. And when it is time for the end of class, typically we end our yoga classes in Shavasana or corpse pose, and sometimes lying down could be a trigger. So just know that you have other options available to you. Any pose that feels relaxing and restful to you could be used in place of Shavasana if Shavasana is triggering. Okay, we are at a point where I think you guys have some good information on things to think about if you would like to bring yoga into your life to help you deal with anxiety, depression, or trauma. In future episodes, I am going to be bringing in some information about different breaths that you could use to help you if you're dealing with one or more of these conditions, and also talking a little bit about some meditations that might be very helpful if you are dealing with one of these three conditions. I hope that this episode has been helpful and informative. I apologize that it's a little longer than I normally do, but I really think that this is important information. So I hope you enjoyed. As always, thank you for listening. Namaste and have a sparkling day. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode you enjoy this podcast, make sure you listen, rate, review, and subscribe to the SC Yoga Girl podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time.